Get in, loser. We're going to book club. This is our whole deal. We're friends who read books. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Renee. And welcome to Crybaby Books. How's it going, Renee? It's going so well, um, she says from pre-sickness. <laughs> um, no, it's going so well. It's fall. It's the beginning of fall. And if you know anything about me, I'm watching Gilmore Girls for the first time. And Woohoo! Gilmore Girls is all autumn. So I'm all autumn. I Haven't you heard I'm an autumn? Or whatever, like, trending <laughs> audio is happening right now that I hope no one puts, like, a spoiler attached to because I don't want to know ahead of where I am since I made it so long without being spoiled. Um, but I've been what doing. What part are you at? Uh, Luke and Lorelai are together. Rory, okay, you have to the, be more specific. They just got together. It's still kind of awkward. Um, okay. Rory's at Yale and she's in the um death brigade or whatever <gasps> that the life of death brigade. The life of death brigade. We're having that storyline. Um, so it's really, all things are good and happy right now after me getting over how much I hate Dean and how atrocious his hair and character and mustache are. Yeah, I'm a certified Dean hater for sure. Here's the thing. It's funny you say that. We were watching Celebrity Family Feud. Listen, it is what it is. It is what it is. I'm just, I am who I am. Okay. I love watching Family Feud. So we're watching Celebrity Family Feud and I was like, is that fucking dean right there it was fucking dean and i hate dean and i didn't watch supernatural i didn't watch, I didn't watch uh whatever other fucking shows he was in and the more we watch the more we're like oh he's he seems kind of nice oh stop it like, Lindsay, oh. get over it we were like oh he's ca- he's kind of sweet like every single thing his wife would say like he would get like really like quietly excited by and John it's was celebrity like, family. <laughs> John was like, I think he's just like a wife guy. Like he doesn't really, he's not really like they were with this other like really obnoxious family and like everybody's being like so everybody on that show is like trying to like be the jokester. So he doesn't have the most personality. He's just right, happy he just, for his wife. Yeah, he just seemed like a normal guy that was happy for his wife. And I was just like, wow, I'm still a certified Dean hater, but I guess I don't have to take it out on the actor anymore based on my impression of him from Celebrity Family Feud. I love it. It's much better than Taylor Lautner, <laughs> Taylor Lautner, Taylor Lautner. Yeah, fuck them forever. Um, but, no, I love Gilmore Girls. I love it so much. And it's having, like, an internet renaissance right now. TikTok's it obsessed really with it is. right now. I think, did did you start this? Because you told me to watch Gilmore Girls, like, six months ago. I Listen, Maybe I less. would love to take credit for it. I would love to take credit for the Gilmore Girls resurgence. But, I mean... Even, like, the internet is, like, where to find the best Rory Gilmore sweater right now? And I'm, like, the internet's obsessed. Even our local macaron shop is doing Gilmore Girls Week next week. And it's, like, all Gilmore Girls-themed sweets. I and follow, I'm, like, you know what? I love it. I follow two separate people who are both, like, I'm watching Gilmore Girls for the first time. Don't tell me anything. Yeah. Yeah. You're my second friend who's watching it for the first time right ah. now. And I'm just, like, I'm happy about it. I'm, like, I wasn't an OG. I started watching it probably like 10 years ago and I think the show was like 25 years old or something like I didn't even watch it when it was live but it's just so it's like it takes place in Connecticut and I grew up in Connecticut and like I grew up like dreaming about Yale and like I don't know it just is so like it's just the most comforting show of my life it is very comforting once we're done I will I will be straight back into Gilmore Girls okay and also are you gonna watch A Year in the Life the Gilmore yes, Girls. But someone okay. told me that the only actor who was good was Emily, the mom. Don't listen to them. I'm going to do my best. But she looks so great for her age. Uh, she always looks great. Also, fucking. You know what? Pause. I can just say she looks great. I don't have to say for her age. That was rude. I, I love that you acknowledge that. Also, fucking Milo, isn't it? He's amazing. Like, everyone's amazing. The fact that I didn't realize that that was him until, like, 40 Girl. episodes in. <laughs> Girl. Season two and a half. Girl, the way Jess ruined my life. Like, the way I've watched him in so many shows since then, and he will always be Jess to me. There's even, speaking of book club and, like, book things, there's even, like, a list of, like, some 
like internet source made a list of every book that's mentioned in Gilmore Girls, like by every single character, and oh, like, like half that. of them are Jess and half of them are Rory. They're just the readers. The beginning is Dean, be- and then he stops reading, like season two. Yeah, yeah. I never believed that he was literate. Never once. Never once. I also thought that the girl he was married to, the actress, was Catherine Heigl. She looks a lot like she her. She looks a lot like her, and it's been really throwing yeah. me for a loop. Every time I see her, I'm like, you're not – this isn't – I'm so confused. Also, never mind. No, 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 no. I don't want to give you a spoiler. I don't want to give you a spoiler. We John, need to do like wait, a – Wait, back. John posted a story that was a Gilmore Girls still the other day, and I think it was referencing something about the Karav Maga situation that you talked about being so funny, but I'm not there yet, so don't tell me. It is. It is. I literally told you about a scene that's so funny in it that we talk. We reference it still. We started like I don't even think we talked about it on the podcast. It was like a random one-off, like Gilmore <laughs> yes. Girls comment. So a year in the life came out when John and I like first met and started hanging out. And so like I was watching it one day while he was like doing something, and he heard a bunch of the movie references and he was like oh actually I fucking love this all of those jokes are really funny and those are the ones that like go over my head but that was a scene from a year in the life and it's the funniest it's the funniest fucking scene in television history I'm sorry it's just so good I can't wait till you get there I think we should do like top of the episodes like where Renee's at in Gilmore Girls like keep up the Gilmore Girl lore I'm, I'm such a fast watcher though I'm already on season five that's fine. Yeah, listen, it's the show is evergreen. You can just immediately restart and watch it forever. It's the best. And my hot take is I loved A Year in the Life. There's a couple of cringy, corny moments, but that's just like the rest of Gilmore Girls. Fair. So. Speaking of cringy, corny, let's talk creepy, crawly. Do you like my segue? <laughs> that was perfect. Thank you. <laughs> so this week, we are reading books that make us go or in reality, give us a stomach-turning pause, and then we take a calm moment, we clear our thoughts, and then we keep reading. And I am having more success reading this month, like this theme, than any of the other ones that we've done so far. And I'm so, I'm such an anxious person that I didn't think that I would like, like the horror-y, the horror-y, Halloween-y, like, yeah. um, more graphic books but I am reading just the most specific and icky and fantastic book that oh my I've god read so I'm pumped to talk about them I'm so excited about that yeah I had like I think September was like one of my best reading months like I read like some of the best books back to back and two of them are books I'm talking about today. They were so, so good. They were such five-star books for me. But it just makes me want to, like, keep reading that genre. Right. And, like, just find more books exactly like How it. am I going to switch to Happy Christmas? I don't know. It's going to be – Happy Holidays? It's going to be so hard. <laughs> How do I read a We'll figure time? it out. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Okay. So first and foremost, we're going to go over books that we liked, that we have either read or are reading – and do you want to go first? Or you want me to start us off? I'm going to start us off, but with okay. a shameless plug for books that we've done together because Ooh. two of them are so graphic and descriptive that I think about scenes from them when I, and they feel icky. And I don't think I've read <laughs> a lot of books like that. Um, the first one is The Grace Year, which was our first oh, buddy yeah. read. And the imagery in that book when they physically hurt each other is so (laughs) vivid and disgusting and they rip this girl's hair off of her scalp (laughs) and it is so sick and gross but I was I was like eating it up I read that book so quickly and then whenever we (laughs) sat down to talk about it I was like that is disgusting how what's wrong with me how what's wrong with me something as icky (laughs) As the grace yeah. yeah, it's like the way that some writers are able to write horror in a way that's unsettling and icky, but not like salacious or cheap. Right. That that I think that a lot of people when they think about horror, they think about cheap, gory 
you know, scream style horror. But when I started reading like YA horror, fantasy horror, it's like some of these writers, I'm like, that's what I want. You know right. what I mean? I don't want a jump the, the, scare. I want. I don't want a jump scare. I want to think about this poor girl's scalp like a year later. <laughs> baby, her brain, that baby's brain. Her brain. May she rest in peace. May she. The second book that I've really liked that also gave me the heebie-jeebie ickies is <laughs> What Lies in the Woods. And specifically, I think about the girl walking around with a finger bone in her pocket. Mm. And yeah. she's, like, rubbing it for good luck. And it's it's mentioned so casually that she's just, yep. like, you know, my hand is tracing the lines in my pocket Ooh, yes, of this yes. of this bone. And I'm like, wait, uh, ma'am, hold on. And Sorry, of course, of a bone? Of a, bo- of a bone from the skeleton that you've had for, like, years in your pocket? No. <laughs> not her good luck bone. <laughs> not, not her rabbit fur. It's. Not her making it into a keychain. It was basically a keychain at this point. I mean, it's been attached to her literal hip for anyway. Um, that book was maybe it's you, Lindsay. So creepy, <laughs> and I just <laughs> loved it so much. So if you want yeah. summaries of those books, you can find it in episode one and episode like I don't know eighteen ish. That's a total guess, but it's an yeah. Somewhere. Those were back when we were like recapping full books for you. So if you just want to listen to me and Renee essentially read a book, but with our commentary, go listen to those. And Dead Romantics too, I think, is a good Halloweeny, creepy, oh, yeah. but nice read. We talk about that one all the time. Also, Mr. Mayor, none of this is true. Unsettling denim on denim. Yeah, <laughs> never forget the denim on denim. The dog, the dog eating freaking the food and then using the bathroom, unacceptable. Sorry. Okay, no, move on. Let's not, move on. Okay, let's move on. Let me hear your favorite books on theme as of recently. Or if I okay. Class, that's fine too. Okay, so right now I'm actually reading one that has been on my shelf, I think since last October, which is a little embarrassing, but it's called uh, Payback's a Witch by Lana Harper. Ooh. And this is what I mean when I like – I've, I kind of started dipping my toe into seasonal reading, and I heard about that on the What Should I Read Next podcast, and it was kind of like an idea that I hadn't considered, like seasonal reading, like reading beach reads in the summer, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm currently reading this one, but I still wanted to include it because it's like really cute so far, and so I just want to be like, you don't have to, it doesn't have to all be thrillers, or it doesn't have to all be scary in order to be like seasonal Halloween time. So Payback's a Witch by Lana Harper is so cute so far. It's about Emmy Harlow. She's a witch, but like barely. She hasn't been home to her magical hometown of Thistle Grove in years, and it's only a little bit because of the boy who broke her heart. Gareth, I know, I know. Gareth Blackmore, just wait till you hear this shit, girl. Gareth, he's the heir to the most pagical, oh lordy. Gareth with a T-H. with a TH. That's how you know he's a POS. I have the chills. So he is the heir to the most powerful, magical family in town. And he broke her heart and he shattered her dreams. And it was just like the worst thing ever. And so the second that she could leave her hometown, she got the fuck out of Dodge. And so her family, the Harlow family, they serve as judges for like a spell casting tournament. And as the tournament approaches, the pull of tradition and her parents like unmatched guilt trip skills That's enough to finally bring her home for the first time in, like, five or some odd years. And she is determined to spend some time with her best friend, Lyndon, spend some time with her family, do her duties for the tournament, and then get the hell out of Dodge again. But on her first night home, she runs into Talia, who is this, like, hot, like, badass, like, pansexual adept. And Talia is fresh off a bad breakup with none other than Gareth Blackmore. And come to find out, he was cheating on her with Lyndon, who is Emmy's best friend. He was two-timing them, and neither of them knew. It's disgusting. So he's an old pervy dog with the same old tricks, and the women want fucking revenge. But they need Emmy to form the, like, perfect little trio of scorned witchy magic. And so seeing Gareth again rattled Emmy to her core, especially when he didn't fucking recognize her. Oh, when he no, starts hitting on her. It's oh, only, I'm like, not. it's only been five years. That is not enough time to forget someone's face. No. Especially and someone that you were with. 
Exactly. But what rattles her more is that she can't stop thinking about Talia. It's not as much Gareth anymore. It's kind of Talia that's catching her eye. So, so far, this book is, like, very cute. It's very atmospheric. It's very, like, witchy and magical. But it's also, like, John Tucker Must Die and kind of Gilmore Girls-y. So it's charming and revengey and, like, fucked up and twisted, but still kind of a romance novel. So that one's Payback's a Witch by Lana Harper. Super fucking cute so far. So that would be my first one I'd recommend. I like that. Also because I can't stop the girl who plays Lindsay in Gilmore Girls is the main character in John Tucker Must Die what yeah look because when I looked her up I was like her face is so familiar she's got the best cheekbones on this here planet it's like Dean and Dean Gareth fuck Dean might as well fuck Dean fuck Gareth men okay (laughs) Um, my book that I'm reading is called The Saturday Night Ghost Club by Craig Davidson. And I'm not going to lie, I picked it for its stunning cover. Ooh. It's got like a retro kind of like video game-esque scene of like um, some characters under a stoplight and there's shadows in the background and there's ghosts in the middle. So I'm almost done. I think I have like 20 pages left. But... This book is, um, it's got like seven or so sections and each one is about this like topic that you heard about when you were younger that was scary and foreign, like Bloody Mary in the mirror or, Ah! so yes, so like things like that. Um, And the narrator, his name is Jake and he's a brain surgeon. So it starts with, he's giving like information about the case that he's working on which is like my real life horror is brain surgery and then (laughs) it jumps back in time and he's in the 80s and he lives in Niagara Falls and so it's got it's like run down touristy kitschy thing going on and he's got an uncle who works at like a curiosity shop and he starts to, like, ask his uncle questions. And he's, his uncle is very vibrant and gives him all these, you know, outrageous answers. And he's got this knowing phone in his office where people call with, um, like, obviously magical things that have happened. And they kind of uncover each of the stories. It's very nostalgic and also descriptive and icky. But I... I'm really loving it. And he's got this whole neighborhood of like kids in Niagara Falls in the eighties and they're going into the graveyard and they're going to, um, the crematorium together. It's so good. I really, that sounds so good. It sounds like stranger things vibes. Kind of. It does have strange. That's really, I haven't even thought about stranger things. It does kind of have that nostalgic. We're learning about all of these things that scared us when we were younger, but they're still scary now. Yeah, I'm still scared as Bloody Mary. <laughs> I will not. I will not turn off the lights and say Bloody Mary in the mirror. Nope. No. And they, they'll like hear a noise in the attic and his brain will start to picture what it could be. And it's like this giant rat and it's foaming and like its claws ah. are coming. It's so gross. Um, part of while I was reading the first like section of the book, it got to be a little bit heavy. So I closed it and I opened Instagram to like some horrible news story in real life. And then I closed Instagram and I opened the book back up and I had a which would you rather moment. (laughs) But it's a super short read. It just totally put me in the Halloween scary spirit. I think the ebook is only like 300 pages. So. Oh, my gosh. That sounds so good. Do it. Do it. I'm going to have to read that. When I'm not home alone. <laughs> Do not read it when you're home alone. It is Absolutely not. I am a scaredy cat. Yep, I'm a scaredy cat. Okay, my next book, which I think we might have, like, lightly touched on on the podcast before, is The Rules of Magic by Alice Hoffman. Um, Alice Hoffman wrote, I think it was The Invisible Hour that we talked about for Cozy Reads, which is also waiting for me in my Libby right now once I finish Shark Cart, another book that we talked about on the podcast. How is Shark Cart um, going? I'm loving it, unsurprisingly. I'm loving it. Um, it's also not very long. I think the audiobook is seven hours. And oh, so, yeah, yeah I've, I feel like I know the characters incredibly well, and I'm only like 12% in. So I just think it's packs a good punch. Okay, anyway. Um, Rules of Magic by Alice Hoffman 
is the prequel to Practical Magic. Now, the prequel came out many, 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 many years later after the Practical Magic sensation that we all know and love. Um, but I didn't really realize that when I picked this book up. So I was just kind of reading based on the cover and thought it looked like witchy and interesting. But here we are. So the story begins in the 1600s when Maria Owens was charged with witchcraft. And her crime was loving the wrong man, as per usual. And because of this, the Owens family is cursed in love. Hundreds of years later, we're in New York City, it's the 60s, and Maria Owens, a descendant, Susanna, has three children that she loves dearly, uh, but she knows that the same thing that makes them unique is the thing that makes them dangerous, magic. She's got Fanny, who is beautiful and bold, and she's known for her blood red hair. She's got Jet, who is shy and sweet and can read other people's thoughts. And then she has her son, Vincent, who is charismatic and a troublemaker. And we all know the type. And the kids are to follow very strict rules. So no walking in the moonlight, no red shoes, never wearing black, no cats, no crows, no candles, and no magical books. Most importantly, they can never, ever fall in love, thanks to the curse. So the siblings visit a family member in the small Massachusetts town where they're from, and they find out that their family has been blamed for, like, everything that has ever gone wrong in that town. And something seems off. They're like, we've never even been here before. What do you mean we have, like, a legacy of bad luck? Like, what does that even mean? So they uncover generations-old family secrets, and it changes things for them entirely. So despite a lifetime of warnings... The Owens children, they just can't escape love even when they try to. The sisters end up growing up to be the revered aunts that we know and love from Practical Magic. And Vincent, their beloved brother, leaves a different legacy entirely. And this book does not read like fantasy, witchy, magical. It reads like a like a family drama that you're just Ooh. like, what's going on? I like feel what sad. like you just the description makes me feel very sad. <laughs> well, I mean, practical magic is very sad too though, right? It's like yeah. it's very it's like it's about sisters, yes, but it's also about heartbreak and it's about loving the wrong man and it's the dangers of what could happen if you love the wrong man or if you use magic to rectify that love. Uh, but it was so interesting and it was so beautiful that I was like, damn, she wrote Practical Magic, like, what, 40 years ago? And then she wrote this amazing prequel like recently. Book. <laughs> <laughs> amazing knockout book. It's one of my favorite, like, books to read around Halloween and then to immediately after go watch Practical Magic. Just, just knowing their history and then watching it, I feel like the movie just hits totally differently. I love that. Yeah, I love that one. I will consider adding it <laughs> not in a mean way but I don't want to feel sad and knowing you can't love makes me feel sad there's a time and a place for sad books the last book that I am just I can't stop thinking about I have read like two books since then but I'm just so obsessed with this book is Their Vicious Games by Joelle Wellington this is it might be my book of the year it might Whoa. be I'm I'm so obsessed with it, I can't stop thinking about it. Okay, so let me tell you what it's about. So Adina Walker has always known that she, as a black teenager, has to work twice as hard to get half as far. She's on scholarship at the prestigious Edgewater Academy, which is a school for the rich and mostly white upper class of New New England. (laughs) Not New Orleans. Uh, She knows that being a minority and a scholarship kid means that the odds are just stacked against her. And she also knows that she has to keep her cool at all times, no matter what's going on under the surface. Because one slip can cost her everything. And then it does. She gets into a fight with her former best friend, and her friend gets her revenge by getting Adina's Ivy League acceptance rescinded, and then gets her blacklisted from every other Ivy school. So Adina is desperate. She's brokenhearted. She feels like her life is over and all of this hard work and all of this biting her tongue was totally for nothing. And then she hears a rumor about a contest called The Finish, and it's hosted by Edgewater Academy's founding family. 
So in this contest, 12 young, ambitious women with promise are selected to compete in three mysterious events, the ride, the raid, and the royale. And the winner is granted entry into the Remington family, and their like wealth and power can open any door. They're, they're like the kind of old money that has influence like no other. And so she gets an invitation, and when she arrives, she immediately gets a feeling that something is off. Like something's off with the Remington family, something's off with the other competitors, they hunt and for even sport. the mansion. They hunt people for sport. I can feel it. <laughs> So even the mansion it's held in is giving her, like, the creeps, and it becomes very clear that her once-in-a-lifetime prize is going to come at an unbelievable cost. Because it's not win or lose, it's life or death, bitch. (gasps) Hunting for sport. So this book, it's like Hunger Games meets Squid Games meets, like, sort of The Bachelor, almost. It's like... It's not as descriptive and gory as, like, The Gracier, but... This is a thriller. Like, this is a horror thriller. I flew through this book. I mean, I literally had dreams about this book for days after I finished it. Like, I had dreams that I was competing in the contest. And it's super atmospheric up in New England with these, like, white, upper class, like, rich, old money people. It's so good. It's so exciting. I can't tell you how many times I like burst out crying and like <laughs> color me scared. Continued. It was like scary, but it was suspenseful. The ending, I didn't see the ending coming like in a million years. I wouldn't have guessed how it ended. And Joa Wellington is a pretty new name in books. Like I think this was her debut novel. And I was like, bitch, can you come out with some more books, please? Because I'm about to start this one from the beginning because it was like it, it was like no other book I've ever read. They don't technically hunt for sport, but the girls are being hunted for sure. And, and it's just it is, female competitors. That's right. It's just pitting all of the girls against each other. Ugh. And everybody's everybody's stakes are so high. I know it's not reality, but people always pin girls against <laughs> each other. It's giving me real life. I know. I know, but it was it was very like it was like horror feminist, you know? It's like she's having all of these these thoughts about it. Like it's she's having all of these thoughts that there's only one other person of color in the competition and it's like an Asian girl. And it's like she's having all these thoughts about diversity and about privilege and about violence and about wealth and like what is it worth? What is my future worth? What is making my parents proud worth? Like can Not I escape my, my stuck here? Is it my life? <laughs> it is so Good. It's so interesting that I was like panting reading this book like a crazy person. It was so good. So that's Their Vicious Games by Joelle Wellington. And I'm obsessed. That's right, you are. I'm obsessed. I feel like I immediately texted you and I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to talk about this book on the podcast. <laughs> I did the same thing with um, the Saturday Night Ghost Club. And then I said, wait, no, I'm not telling you. And then I said, wait, I must, I must share something. <laughs> I can't keep a thought to myself to save my life. (laughs) I love that. Okay. My next books are books that I'm interested in and I'd like to read. So the first book is a shout out to my friend Megan who told me to read it. It's called The Last House on Needless Street by Katerina Ward. She um, prefaced with, don't read anything. Just read it. It's so sick. And my <laughs> and sorry, Megan, because I'm going to read the summary. But um, Megan reads more than you, like double that you do. She reads all the time. She's a constant reader. And so I figured if she remembered it enough to talk about it, then it was especially icky. So. As soon as you crack open the last house on Needless Street, you know something is very wrong. More, this description is so icky, more than biting into a nice apple and finding a worm, the book is like unexpectedly stepping on a worm barefoot only to find out it is not a worm at all. Horror fiction can scare readers, make them anxious, or upset their stomachs, but the most powerful narratives in the genre manage to create an unshakable sense of unease, and that's exactly what this novel does. You have such a stank face. I just want to know, what did you step on if it's not a worm? I don't know. Was it an eel? 
in my head it was like animal poop ew uh, so most of the uh, reviews for this book were that they thought it was going to be like a scary gory jump scare but it was more like the human condition is gross and people are mm-hmm. just inherently scary so Ted lives alone with his cat Olivia in a dilapidated boarded up house at the end of a cul-de-sac He's unemployed, drinks a lot, and suffers from a few undiagnosed mental health problems. His daughter, Lauren, comes to visit from time to time, but they never leave when she does, and their relationship is tense and usually violent. A woman named Dee moves into the abandoned house next door while on a quest to find her sister, who was kidnapped years ago. Obviously, the stories must intersect at some point. Ted's life begins to spiral into chaos, and the premise seems to be that Ted's got a couple of personas that he switches between and that he's a very unreliable narrator. So you're not sure which versions of his stories are true, but I think they're all from his perspective. Interesting. Spooky. Color me scared. The cover picture is also scary. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought it was called needleless not needless and so when i just went to read that i was like the needle gave it an extra fear that need i know (laughs) oh my gosh okay um i can do you want me to go into the books that i want to read yes okay so i have two for the books that i want to read for october and one of them is stone blind by natalie haynes And she's the author of A Thousand Ships and Pandora's Jar and literally 20 other books. But those are the only other two books that I've read of hers. And if there's a genre of books that I could talk about all fucking day, it would be the feminist retellings of Greek mythology. That is so specific and not at all what I thought you were going to say. (laughs) I mean, I should have. What's it called? Stonehenge? I should have. Um, I expected you to say magical realism, which also fits into, like, horror. (laughs) I'm so thrown off. Continue. Okay. Good. I love that. That means I'm not, um, just rattling off about the same things. But, so, Natalie Haynes, I mean, a lot of readers sort of got into this genre when Cersei came out by, uh, Madeline Miller. And there are just so many, it kind of opened my eyes to, like, there are so many there's so much knowledge out there and we don't really study it from the women's perspectives. And it just like opened up a whole other world for me. So the sources in Natalie Haynes novels are, it's so incredible. It's so impressive. So much work goes into these books. Um, And Pandora's jar, like one of her sources was a fucking vase. It was a vase. Wow that was like the stories were like painted onto it before they had a written language. Like it's just so detailed and there's so much effort and work and history that goes into it that it's, you just, you just can't help but admire the dedication. It's so good. In Stoneblind by Natalie Haynes, the infamous Medusa is finally given a voice. She's the only mortal in a family of gods and her sisters were immortal winged demons called Gorgons. And growing up with her sisters, she starts to realize that she's the only one in the family who can be hurt, and her mortal lifespan gives her life a sense of urgency that her family is never going to understand. So when the sea god Poseidon commits an unforgivable act and he attacks Medusa, Athena punishes Medusa for it by turning her into a monster. Her hair is replaced by writhing snakes, and her gaze turns living creatures into stone. And many people don't know this, but she actually can't control her power. There's nothing she can look at without destroying it. And because of this, she's condemned to a lifetime of darkness and shadows. And when Perseus embarks on a quest to fetch the head of Orgorgon, everything changes for Medusa. So it is a name we all know about Medusa, the snake head who turns you into stone, right? But many people don't know the history behind it or what happened to her or why we tell the story. No, I know and nothing so, and I am hooked. I'm looking at you like a toddler being read a book at the library. <laughs> I'm so engaged. Um, Natalie Haynes writes these characters as women, like they're goddesses and they're gods, but she writes their mind and what they're thinking. She like 
in a thousand ships in Pandora's jar, it's like it gives like a life to these people who are traditionally characters in a story about men. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like they're they're goddesses, but we don't really care to give them a story. But we in Greek mythology, they were named because there was a story there. And so it's she does this incredible job of of making a novel out of something that people have believed for thousands of years. So this is another one that's been sitting on my shelf waiting for me to be like in the right mental space. But I think October is the month that I'm going to read Stone Blind. That sounds one for really, me. really good. I'm for sure putting that one on mine because I know the general stories, but I don't I don't think I've ever read anything more specific. Yeah, it's I, her other books are so gorgeous that I like I just want to go down her list and, and knock chuck them all. <laughs> knock them all off the list did you have another that you on your october tbr i did and it was so on my tbr that i checked out this book from the library and then ran out of time and didn't want to be that girl so i returned it with plans to check it out again (laughs) love uh this book is called the house in the pines by anna reyes this book has a golden key on the cover and i've seen it everywhere when i started to look up Halloween books or books that are a little bit creepy or scary. This looks like the next big thriller, but I think it might be like a 2022 book. Hmm. Anyways, House in the Pines. Maya was a high school senior when her best friend Aubrey dropped dead in front of the very charismatic man named Frank, who they'd been spending time with all summer. Big red flag. Frank, they're in high school and they've been spending time with a charismatic man named Frank. Mm-mm. He did it. Um, whatever it is. He's guilty. <laughs> he, he definitely He's guilty it. of a lot of things. And Frank at that? Absolutely not. So seven years later, <laughs> Maya lives in Boston with her loving boyfriend, and she's kicking the secret addiction that's helped her to cope with what happened many years ago, the gaps in her memories, and the lost time that she can't account for. But... Her past comes rushing back when she comes across a recent YouTube video in which a young woman suddenly keels over and dies at a diner while just happening to be sitting across from Frank. Fucking Frank. You can't be in two places and you didn't do it. It's a science. Right. Right. Um, Plunged back into the trauma that had defined her life, Maya heads up to her hometown to relive that fateful summer and kind of like revisit the influence that said Frank had on her and the jealousy that nearly destroyed her friendship with Aubrey. At her mom's house, she kind of goes through some things, some old books, and she finds this journal that her dad has, and it's got all of this information about Frank in it. Oh, my God. Scary, right? How did Dad know about Frank? How did Dad know about Frank? I need was to Frank know. One of, was Frank one of Dad's friends and then they had a falling out and then he started praying In my on head, Dad's Frank daughter? is like way younger than Dad. But I don't know. Okay. I'm thinking like creepy 35-year-old hits on like high school kids. Not okay. like I can see that. 50. I, I'm picturing like 45 to 65. <laughs> Frank is an old man name. I'm sorry. <laughs> name a young person named Frank. Name a young person named Frank. I can't think of one. I can. I think I've only known one Frank in my whole life. But he was young. He was old, wasn't he? No. He no. Okay. Color me corrected. Color that me sounds corrected. so good, though. I know. I feel like there's going to be some great twist at the end. This is the book that I rented from the library and was too overwhelmed with all my other books <laughs> that I was reading. So I had to. Br- I had to bring it back. But I'm going to – I'm going to round – I didn't want to hold it. Yeah. Because yeah, you know somebody's waiting for it. Somebody, they want to know about Frank, too. Somebody's absolutely waiting for it, so. So if y'all listened to our Cozy Books episode, you heard me gush about Hillary Burton Morgan's first book, Rural Diaries. And, yes, I'm going to talk about her again. Like, I'm sorry. Two I'm obsessed with her. Two for two. She has another book coming out in October. I think it's October 3rd, so it's, like, really soon. And it's called Grimoire Girl, Creating an Inheritance of Magic and Mischief. I thought you said Gilmore Girl. <laughs> I've been reading it as Gilmore Girl every time I read it as Gilmore Girl. Um, okay, so here's what the book is about. Unfortunately, it's not about Gilmore Girls that I know of. 
So since she was a child, Hillary Burton Morgan felt compelled to record her life in diaries and journals, collect and catalog pieces, all kinds of stuff. It's a habit of hers, and it's never had any real goal. But when she became a mother, all of her collecting suddenly had a purpose. Before she could help her kids find out who they were, she needed to go back and understand who she was. So she wanted to ask herself, what parts of my life are worth keeping and what parts of my life are meant to be discarded and what legacy do I want to leave? So she dug through these attics and basements, all of her old journals, diaries, trunks of letters, spell books, and even trinket boxes trying to find out what inheritance she can leave for her children that is true and loving and would stay with them when she was gone. And so she realized that what she was making was a grimoire. And so a lot of people think about like a witchy secrets of the witch kind of book because that's like I think about vampire diaries (laughs) okay I didn't watch that (laughs) I didn't watch it but when it's usually discussed in a book it's that's what it's it's like a spell book it's like a a lot of people when they think about a grimoire they're thinking of um and I'm sure I'm saying that wrong but they're thinking of like witchy books and like like your old witchy weird grandmother uh, diaries and it's written about in fiction a lot and she defines a grimoire as a tangible collection of a lifetime of learning so a record of what a woman has been taught as a child and then continue learning throughout her lifetime she says this is a guide to keep her alive so the pages of the book promise to tell us about the things that have kept her alive the people the places the stories and to add to the magic inside of each of us it has Life tips for creating an altar, poetry spells, flower magic, and all kinds of tips for everyday enchantment. This is very tender, and I love... Isn't it so sweet? All the things about it. In my head, I'm, I'm like, like, what am I, what will I leave for Elise? Oh. I know, like, reading her books, like, that is how she writes. She writes, she's writing nonfiction, but it's so magical, and it's like... Like, in Rural Diaries, there's a recipe for dandelion wine. But it's not a recipe book. It's like after a chapter of talking about loving reading um, Ray Bradbury, it's like she just like has a way of like making everything so special and magical and like big. Yeah. I just I just love her. I just love her. I'm so glad that she's writing. I want her to write forever. (laughs) But it is very much about like motherhood and leaving a legacy and yeah. We'll both have to read it. Sorry. Yeah, that's Bonnie's grandma left her hers. Oh, I don't know who that is. In in Vampire Diaries. <laughs> <laughs> I have a grandmother named Bonnie. Bonnie's a witch. I don't my remember her grandmother's be... name. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, I don't. I'm like going through my head of all the books I've read. I'm like, I don't think I've read about a Bonnie. Okay. I'm obsessed. I love her. I hope you guys um, read one or both of her books. It just sounds like a good, like, all-around motherhood, magical, make-your-life-special kind of vibe. It really Um, does. And you should also read Saturday Night Ghost Club. Yeah, and Vampire Diaries. (laughs) If there's a book, I'm I'm skipping our buddy read, and I'm just going to start reading Vampire Diaries. You cannot skip our buddy read. You absolutely can't. This, okay, you guys, this is the perfect transition to our buddy read. You can keep that this clicking has... sound in because I'm Googling Vampire Diary books. Oh my gosh, they're from the 90s. Okay, we're going to let Renee talk about Vampire Diaries for 10 minutes so she gets it out of her no, system. No, I'm not. I'm done. I'm so done. So I can done, have done. a full thought. I just love Nina Dobrev so much. Yeah, I bet she's awesome. I love women. Okay, we ready to talk about the buddy read? <gasps> we are ready to talk about the buddy read. Okay, Okay. so for October, our buddy read is going to be a little bit different for us. We're going to switch things up and read a book unlike any book we've read before. The book is Her Majesty's Royal Coven by Juno Dawson. And I'm going to say this because we didn't say this for none of this is true because we didn't really realize it. But I read this book, so I realized it early. No summary you read of this book can make it sound as interesting as it is. Like, I've read tons of summaries, tons of reviews. None of them prepared me I've for done what the I was justice. about to read. 
they haven't done it justice. Well, I, I would agree that I've read the summary and I was not the most intrigued. But the way that you've Me talked neither. about it has been incredibly intriguing. So. Okay. Okay. So, do you know, if you're listening, which I know that you are, world famous author, actress, um, activist, all of the things. I know you're listening to our podcast, so I'm going to tell you this now. Let me write the next summary for you. Okay, babe? Okay. So, Her Majesty's Royal Coven is a secret department of witches that's dedicated to protecting the world from supernatural threats. And five best friends are at the center of an impending war, no matter how much they try to avoid it. And these girlies, they've known each other since childhood, and their lives are intertwined in ways that mortals can't imagine. So, like, in this world, when you're, like, inducted as witches, it's like you're closer than siblings. Like, you're, like, a deeper level of family. And all of our women in this book are, like, 35 plus. Like, we're not reading about little teeny boppers anymore, okay? Yes, ma'am. Reading about grown-ups. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about the girlies. First, we've got Nyam, which is how I'm guessing that you say it. Um, she's like this sweet cottagecore gardeny witch, and she like is like the glue that holds the friends together. We've got Helena, who is like power hungry boss bitch, but she's also the high priestess of Her Majesty's Royal Coven, so she's the head bitch in charge, but also super like into the power. And then we have Elle. Elle's the Instagram mom whose husbands and kids still don't even know that she's a witch. She's like kind of like living her life under like this whole facade. And then we've got Leonie and she is the only person of color in their circle. She's like so badass though. She has her own coven in London. She's not in Her Majesty's Royal Coven. She's in the one that she founded for witches of different marginalized communities Um, because we love an inclusive queen. So throughout the like witching world, there are like whispered rumors of a prophecy that's bringing on the apocalypse, like the end of times. And when the oracles confirm it, everyone's like, holy shit, this is like, it's almost like the second coming of Christ. Like, you know, like everybody, it's like, we all kind of know about it and we've heard about it and people have been talking about it for hundreds of years, but it's like all of a sudden it's happening. And so the prophecy is Leviathan will rise again. And so it's a story about witches, but it's also a story about like modern dating and girly pops and ancient prophecies and sacred sisterhoods and demonic frenemies and drama. Okay, so it's, it's, like, it's doing it for me better than the summary was. I'm still very <laughs> confused, but I think once I start reading, I'll be like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. I haven't even mentioned like 20 of the plot points, but just trust me on this. So it's like Sex in the City and Charmed and Gilmore Girls all had a baby and it's this book. When I tell you I flew through this book, I mean, not even in 24 hours. Like I couldn't stop reading it and I'm not a very fast reader. It was so amazing that I then went to the library. I got the sequel. Then I went online and I ordered the first book and the sequel from the UK because they have prettier covers. So at one point I had two copies of each book on my like coffee table. Casually sitting. I'm just so obsessed with it. One time John came home and he was like, why do you have so many copies of this book? John, (laughs) I I know how to talk about it. But you guys, it's so interesting. The sequel is so interesting too. They're so funny. Like, All of the different women, like, you do get a lot of perspectives because it's, like, five girlfriends, right? But they're so different and they're so unique that it's, like, really easy to keep track of them, if that makes sense. We also have Nicola Coughlin, who is um, in Dairy Girls. She's um, Lady Whistledown in Bridgerton. She is doing the audiobook for the sequel, which is called the shadow cabinet which is already out and she is adorable and so cute i know that you recognize her if you saw her um will there only be two or sh- or will there be a third i was gonna say shall so, because i'm feeling so fancy but that doesn't go there bitch it's so it's a trilogy okay guess what the fuck juno dawson announced guess what the fuck she announced a prequel to the trilogy ah. that's right So you get two more right then you so can you have two more books, books. But it's so rare that you read a book that, like, grips you so, like, 
incredibly, right? It's all you can think about. And then you can immediately go read the next book in the series. Yeah. It's already there. So I feel like I discovered this at like the perfect time, but I consumed both books back to pack. And now I'm like, okay, wait, how long do I have to wait for more? Because it's so, so good. Probably a minute. Listen, she also, Juno Dawson is super cool. The um, author of this book, she has one of the biggest uh, podcasts, uh, Sex and the City podcasts in the world. She is on um, Doctor Who Redacted, I think, is another one of her projects. She's written a ton of nonfiction books about the queer community. She's written another fiction novel that's not in this series. Like, this bitch is working. She's doing it. Okay? She's doing all she's, kinds of things. She's, bu- she's booked and busy. And I'm just like, I don't know how your brain has so much room for all those other things when this book is all I can think about. Anyway, it's so good. We're reading it. You should read it, too. And then we can talk about it. Yeah, and Renee's gonna love it. I'm gonna love it. It's it's on my. It's been staring at me for a couple days. <laughs> Listen, don't judge the U.S. cover by the cover. Okay. <laughs> Listen, don't do it. I know you're gonna want to. I know it looks like it was made in Canva. Try to see through it. See past okay. it. Gonna, okay. I'll Trust just, me. I, should I rip it off? Just rip it off, especially yeah. if it's from the library. They don't need that. It's not from the <laughs> library. There was like a six year wait. Bitch, a six-year wait? I'm joking. But I was like, okay, I was 20-something in line, so realistically. Okay, that's, that's how you know it's good, because this isn't a new book. Like, this has been out for a while. Well. Okay. Listen, take it from me. Take it from the other readers. Um, Read this fucking book, guys. It's so amazing, and I can't wait to talk to you guys about it, and I can't wait to yeah. show you guys what I look like after I finish the sequel. <gasps> I showed Renee already. <laughs> it's good. I took a picture yeah. of my face. It's worth it. Okay, you guys, this was so much fun. We love Halloween. We love October. I hope you read all of these scary little books. But most importantly, Her Majesty's Royal Coven by Gina Dawson. That's it. That's all we've got. And that's it for today. Yeehaw. Okay, my friends. Yeehaw. We'll talk about the books that we talked about in today's episode in the show notes so you can read along with us. And you can follow us on Instagram at crybabybookspod. If you have a book that you think we should read, send us an email. You can read us at hi at crybabybooks.com. And this is going to come out too late. But if you know somebody at Ticketmaster, can you please have your people call me? Please. It's not for Taylor Swift, I swear. Okay, that's it. We love you so much. Bye. It's like, sorry, like you're in shock. I'm sorry I didn't watch Vampire Diaries. Are are we losing the plot here? <laughs> Do we're we need to pivot? We're kind of losing the plot here. Do we need to pivot and talk about Vampire Diaries? No, for we a don't want to talk about Vampire okay. Diaries. Not right now, <laughs> but please save it in your mind for later. What the hell, <laughs> Lindsay? I'm sorry, I was watching One Tree Hill. Okay, I didn't watch Vampire Diaries until I was an adult. Okay, we're done here. Back <laughs> okay. to you.